This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 260, and we are recording on December 8th. I'm Jen Northington. I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot on this very Tuesday of Tuesday. Well, it's Thursday if you're listening to it, but it's Tuesday here. Mm, It's Tuesday in my heart. Yeah. (laughs) It's the end of the year, y'all. We're a little punchy. This is going to be, this is just Mm -hmm. what it is. is. This is where we are. Mm-hmm. Like as a nation, I feel like everyone understands. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're all in this together or something. All right, so <laughs> let's talk about how this show works. If this is the first time you're tuning in, welcome. It is, as I said at the top, a show for personalized reading recommendations, which means you can send in your request for maybe there's a book that like put a hole in your heart and you need help finding others that are similar, or maybe you need recommendations for friends and family or for a trip or a book club or whatever. Uh, you can send those questions in either via email, getbooked at bookriot.com, or you can drop them at the form that's at the bottom of the show notes on the site for every episode. And if you have a time-sensitive request you're hoping to hear back by a certain date, please put time-sensitive, all caps, and then the date you're hoping to hear back by at the top of the form if you're using that or in the subject line of the email. We will do our best to get to them. And if we think we're not going to get to it on air, we might shoot you an email. So keep an eye out for those. We do have some feedback this week. Let's see. Rebecca has recommendations for Pippa, who is looking for interesting slash ambitious structures or devices in books. And Rebecca recommends Interior Chinatown by Charles Yu, uh, which I personally will second. It is really amazing. It is Mm -hmm. a satire. It's also a meta-narrative. It's great. And it just won the National Book Award. Three cheers for Charles Yu. Rebecca's other suggestion is Nupiming, The Cure for White Ladies by Lian Betasemasake Simpson. Rebecca says this one's a doozy in the best way. It interweaves classic narrative styles with poetic fragments and Anishinaabe aesthetics. The story is told from the point of view of various human, spirit slash non-human, but maybe previous human? Animal plant characters. It was a real trip and one of my favorite reads from the past year. Well, Rebecca, you have sold that to me at the very least. I'm going to have to read that. Uh Uh, Let's see. More feedback from Stephanie, who says, For the reader looking for books with a Buffy feel, the series by K.F. Breen that starts with the book Born in Fire might work to scratch that itch. Strong, violent, and snarky female lead who is a bounty hunter of monsters in the paranormal community and carries a legacy that is heavy and secret. There's even reluctant teaming up with a vampire and a Scooby gang of sorts. Uh, Also, they might just dig a number of the urban fantasies with strong female leads, especially those by Ilona Andrews and Patricia Briggs. Yes, indeed. All right. Thanks, y'all, for the feedback. I'm going to read our first question, and then we'll do a sponsor and start recommending books. 
Our first question is from Ashley, who says, My partner suffers from anxiety and depression, and while he's been getting treatment for it, the isolation during COVID has got him particularly on edge. I want to be supportive and not take his bad moods personally because I know he's doing everything he can to get a handle on it, and it's not his fault, but sometimes it's difficult. I'm wondering if you have any suggestions for books that can help guide me into effectively being there for a loved one who's dealing with depression. All right. Uh, I'm so sorry that you both are having to deal with that. That's rough. Uh, Let's Mm. take a moment for a sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Gallery Books. So Anna Green thought she was marrying Liam West for access to subsidized family housing while at UCLA, which is an interesting reason to marry someone. But, you know, in this economy. So anyway, she signed divorce papers when the graduation caps were tossed and she thought she was done at she wasn't. Three years later, Anna is a starving artist living paycheck to paycheck while West is a Stanford professor. Now, he is part of a conglomerate. His family owns this mega grocery store chain. He's not interested in working for them, but he is interested in those greenbacks, honey, that come in the form of a $100 million inheritance. To get it, he has to be married for five years. That's where our girl Anna comes back into play. So the two will fake a marriage, but as he gets to know her and gets to appreciate the feisty, foul-mouthed, paint-splattered girl that she is, he'll begin to wonder if the money is worth the love of his life. Pick up The Paradise Problem by Christina Lauren to find out if it is. And thanks again to Gallery Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Diana Dixon has a busy summer and no time for tall, gorgeous hockey player Shane's shenanigans. Because you know what? If they shenan once, they'll shenan again. So she thinks she knows exactly who he is when he moves into her apartment building. But turns out Shane's sick of hookups and tired of being on the rebound after his long-term girlfriend called it quits. But when his ex comes back into the picture, he needs a plan. And who better to play his new girlfriend than his sassy new neighbor? So a a fake relationship might be perfect for Diana's own ex issues, but Diana is used to living by the rules. Will she learn that when it comes to love, rules are meant to be broken? Make sure to check out The Dixon Rule by L. Kennedy. L. Kennedy is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author with over a million copies of her books sold. So this is going to be another banger, y'all. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. All right, Amanda, what do you have for our asker for dealing with uh, loved ones who are struggling with depression? Okay, I picked My Lovely Wife in the Psych Ward by Mark Lukacek, which is a memoir about what it says in the title. That's what it's about. So Mark, uh, his wife's name is Julia, and they have what I mean, most people would consider like a very fairy ish kind of relationship. They met when they were 18 and fell in love and got married when they were in their 20s. They were living in San Francisco. And then when Julia turned, I think 27 or 28, she had a completely out of the blue, to them anyway, psychotic break and ended up in a mental institution for almost a month. And Mark, of course, was shocked and didn't know how to handle it. Like she went from being completely well adjusted and in his mind, totally quote unquote normal to having this, you know, obvious, huge mental health issue. 
And so eventually she recovered. They decided to have a child. And then after their son was born, she had another breakdown. And then yet another a few years after that. And she was diagnosed with various and sundry things that turned out to be overturned. Like she was first diagnosed, I think, with schizophrenia. And then a few years later, that was changed to having a, a diagnosis of bipolar disorder. And so, you know, it's just a roller coaster for this couple. And uh, especially for someone who had no previous history or indication of mental illness. And so, I, you know, like when I... I, f- I feel a little like mm, about reading a memoir from someone about mental illness that's not written by the mm. person, you know, that's like written by somebody who has to live with the person, especially when it's like a dude talking about a woman. Like I got a lot of like reservations, but it was recommended pretty highly by some of our contributors and the reviews are great. So I like trusted it and it was okay. I mean, he like is very human about it. There's not uh, an instance where he doesn't admit that, like, at some points he resents having to deal with her issues. At some points he, you know, feels helpless because he doesn't know how to help her, especially after they have a child. He doesn't know how to protect his son. And, it, you know, the feelings that come up of having to feel like you even have to protect your son from his mother who you love and who means well and has no control over herself in that moment, you know. Um, and then he also talks about, like, the the everyday ways that it affects their lives, like... Um, when he has to take off work to take care of her and like how it affects their finances and things like that. But it's very human. It's not a manual, you know, like it's not a how-to manual for how you in your life, especially with COVID right now, um, should be approaching your husband who has mental illness. But it is super relatable. I think that his situation with Julia sounds like it's a lot more severe than maybe what you're dealing with in your home. So I don't know that you'll find a lot of the you know, things that he does every day applicable to your situation, but just the, like, um, the knowledge that there are people out there who are experiencing the s- similar things to you and the feelings that he feels in the book, I'm sure you will find very relatable. Um, and, you know, he's, he loves her just like you love your partner. So he, listening to him, not listen, I mean, you could do the audiobook, but like reading about him working through those more difficult moments for himself, I think will probably be helpful. Like getting past the, oh, I resent having to do this again, you know, to the like, to the love, to the support, to the promises you made this person, that kind of stuff, I think will be helpful to you. So that's My Lovely Wife in the Psych Ward by Mark Lukacek. I also got some help with this one, and this is from my TBR. It's Maybe You Should Talk to Someone by Lori Gottlieb, which has been recommended by a bunch of rioters to me at various different points. And this is, you know, it's sort of less uh, specifically about your situation, but the context is, is that Gottlieb is a therapist and she has a personal crisis. And so she starts to go to a therapist. And she's very skeptical about, like, this guy who she's now, you know, talking to about her life and stuff. But it ends up being very helpful. And so she's talking about not only her own experiences in therapy, but also uh, some of her patients' names and situations changed, I'm sure, to protect the innocent, who are struggling with all kinds of different things. And uh, so she's sort of navigating this, like, when you're a person who's used to helping others and then you need help yourself, like, how do you navigate that? And there's also a lot in here about living with folks who are having their own struggles and how do you deal with supporting them while also supporting yourself? Because both of those things are essential, right? You have to do both. And apparently she digs into that uh, regularly in this book. So I thought that might be helpful and give some good context and also just some interesting reading about like, yeah, what are all of these? What are we all struggling with? Like, we're all struggling with something. And how Mm. do we how do we show up for ourselves? How do we show up for those in our lives? So again, that's Maybe You Should Talk to Someone by Lori Gottlieb. 
All right. Our next question is from Elizabeth, who says, I'm a high school librarian and struggling to find YA books that celebrate the holiday or seasonal joy that aren't Christmas. I find some that may make mention of Hanukkah or Kwanzaa, but I'm not finding a lot of success in books that center anything outside of Christmas festivities. I would love to find books that are engaging in the way of Dash and Lily and Let It Snow. Can you help me find books that center other holidays or just general winter joy? Okay, so I picked Snow in Love, which is a collection of four YA short stories by Melissa De La Cruz, Nick Stone, Amy Friedman, and Casey West. And they are all, you know, centered around the holiday season. Christmas is happening in many of the stories, like out in the world, but it's certainly not like the point of the story. Um, And Hanukkah is the point of the story in more than one. So all of them are romances, if that's like a thing you want, which who doesn't right now? And in the first one, there's a a romantic like road trip situation where a girl needs to come home from college and then the airport gets her like air, what do you call it? Flight. Good (laughs) Lord. Her flight gets canceled because of snow. And instead of spending a million years in the airport, you know, she like gets in a, um, she gets offered a ride from a high school guy who she like had a crush on in high school. Uh, So they spend hours in the car riding back to their hometown. And, you know, I'm sure you can imagine what happens. There's one, my, the, book, the uh, story by Amy Friedman is the best one. Uh, it's about a Jewish girl who wants to save up money during the holiday season to buy like a really nice dress to attend this event in a pressure crush in high school. And the only job she can find is as a Christmas elf in a department store. And she is very like, you know, she's practicing Jewish. She's like not into it. And so her like grumpy experience as a Christmas elf is so good. And it's also romance. Anyway, there's more. Um, one of the stories is queer. And it's just very heartwarming and sweet. And I, it's got that kind of Dash and Lily-ish thing going on where, like, you know, it's the season, but these are not stories about people coming together to celebrate Christmas or the birth of any particular deity or anything like that. It's just lives and romances that are happening in the world while the holidays happen around them. So, yeah. So that is Snow and Love by many people. The main one listed uh, is probably going to be Melissa De La Cruz. This is a hard one. I There are not that many. Mm honestly out there (laughs) it's a real it's a real surprise to me uh, especially if you're looking for diverse ones there's just not a lot but it just so happens that uh, the hey ya folks uh, who are our young adult podcast recently got a question similar and i'm stealing one of their recommendations because everything else that i read did not actually work out so the one recommended on hey ya that i'm stealing is together at midnight by jennifer castle which takes place right before New Year's. And it's about two teenagers who are in New York City and they like sort of know each other, kind of. And they happen to witness a terrible accident in which a pedestrian gets hit by a bus. And they feel like they should have done something like where there was maybe something they could have done to prevent it, but they didn't and because they didn't know. And so they have this like very intense feelings of guilt and they get sort of challenged by somebody who is talking to them about this to perform a bunch of random acts of kindness to strangers before New Year's. So this is about them, like, running around New York City, performing random acts of kindness for strangers. And, like, maybe there's also (laughs) some romance happening. And by all accounts, this is, like, both a very, like, fun and heartwarming, but also has, like, undertones of serious stuff, as you might guess from the premise. Uh, And it sounds like it has the sort of, like, warm, fuzzy feelings um, and also, like, fun, quirky adventure and a touch of, like, let's talk about some real stuff combination that you're looking for. So, again, that's Together at Midnight by Jennifer Castle. 
All right. Our third question is from Kim, who says, My husband is not a big reader, but during the pandemic, he has been reading much more than usual, so I would like to find him a new author. He tends to pick up an author and then reads all their books, and he picks prolific authors. First it was Stephen King, then Lee Child. Now he's working on James Patterson. But he's getting to the new ones, with which the library only has on hold. I've tried to put a nonfiction in his hands about a subject I know he likes or a John Grisham, but I keep striking out no memoirs either. Any suggestions? I'm just going to keep talking. I picked for your husband A is for Alibi by Sue Grafton. There are 23 books in the series. And <laughs> Sue Grafton is like in the same way that like, you know, James Patterson is a force in thrillers and like Lee Child is like more on the hard lines. Like uh, Sue Grafton is a force in mystery. And this is a series about a private investigator who was also a former cop, uh, Kinsey Malone, which is also the name of the series, technically. Um, although I always hear this get referred to as like the alphabet series, but that's not actually what it's called, it turns out. The more you know. Anyway, so she is like your classic sort of like, you know, crusty with a heart of gold sort of P.I. Um, and in this first one, she has a client who uh, was um, convicted of killing her husband, but she maintains she was innocent. She's out on parole after having served some jail time and wants Kinsey's help to find the real killer. But obviously, it's like very hard to clear a name when the investigation uh, happened like eight years ago. And then, of course, there's a new murderer on the loose. Uh, so, you know, it's lots of like action and whodunitness and you get your gruff P.I., and there are 23 books in the series. So I think it's worth a try. And these should be very avail available from the library in both print, digital and audio. So again, that is A is for Alibi, the first in the Kinsey Malone series by Sue Grafton. Um, I went with, I don't even, like a Lee Child, James Patterson, Robert Lundgren ah! trifecta is, is what I'm doing. So I picked the Bourne, the Jason Bourne series. Um, obviously by Robert Ludlum. The first one is The Bourne Identity. There are 15 books in The Bourne series, and they're not all by Robert Ludlum because he died. So some of the later ones are by, I mean, a bunch of different people that they picked to continue the series. But uh, I've read the, I read all the ones that were by Robert Ludlum when I was in high school. And I think that, you know, if you've got a, a Lee Child, James Patterson fan, these will just be right up that alley. I don't know that I, I mean, it's a pretty famous series. I don't know that I need to really describe the, uh, plot because it's also the plot of every James Patterson and Lee Child novel. <laughs> but if you've got somebody who likes that plot, then like here's 15 more. You know, there's a spy. He wakes up with amnesia. He's got he's very much like a dude Mary Sue. Like he has no personality, but he wakes up with all these skills that he that, you know, you get to discover how he got them. And most of them are uh, impressive and doodly and whatever. I loved it. I don't care. I'm not sad. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, again, the movies are pretty famous and I'm Probably don't need to go into like a bunch of detail about them, but the books I will say depart from the movies pretty quickly. And you know, of course, there are so many more books than there are movies that there's like even if your husband has seen all of the Matt Damon born films, once he gets past book like three, the, everything else is different. Um, and even kind of before that, they're different as books adaptations tend to be. So that's the Born Identity by Robert Ludlum. Alrighty, our next question is from Ren, who says, Today I found out that Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie agrees with J.K. Rowling's transphobia, and that very much turned me off from reading any more of her. After hearing this, I realized I wanted to read more books by African women and non-binary people, but I'm not sure where to start. 
I've read The Joys of Motherhood and Pet by Oweke Yemezi. Their other books are very much on my radar. I generally enjoy fiction, speculative fiction, and light fantasy. I prefer audiobooks, but that is not a must. Okay, I'm going to keep going. I picked The Woman Next Door by Yawande Amatoso, which I did listen to on audio and comes with a trigger warning for racism. I love this book so much. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so Hortensia and Marion are the main characters. Um, one of them is black. One of them is white. They live in South Africa. They're neighbors. They live in a very fancy neighborhood, um, and they're both like rich and in their 80s so they, and they hate each other like hate each other when this book opens capital h they've lived next door to each other for 20 or 30 years and since the day they met it's been just not good feelings um it does not help that marion designed the house was an architect and designed the house that hortensia lives in next door uh, and marion always wanted to live in that house but hortensia bought it and since it's South Africa, uh, Marion is racist. Like, it's not even... She's racist in a way that if you live in America, will feel very familiar to you and that she does not believe that she's racist. But everything that she says and does kind of belies that picture that she has of herself. And Hortensia is just the crankiest old lady who just is not having it. Like, calls Marion racist to her face, has for 30 years. They don't get along. And then something happens. They both have been recently widowed, and one of them is having construction done on their home through a series of events that involves like a construction accident. They have to move in together, and you know that goes well. <laughs> it does. Hashtag did not go well. Um, and the their like forced proximity brings up a lot of personal trauma from from both of their lives, including how Marion came to turn a purposeful blind eye to what was happening in her country and what was happening in the neighborhood that they both live in and the history of the neighborhood that they both live in. There's a great subplot about um, part of South Africa's um, reparatory actions in after apartheid was to give land that was stolen from black people in South Africa back to their families. And one of those plots of land is in that neighborhood. So Marion and Hortensia obviously have like very differing beliefs about what should happen to that plot of land and whether or not it should be given to this family. Um, and so that's a through line that brings up a lot of uh, friction points for the two of them. So that's how it, like it's taking on a lot of very serious issues. But it's also like just two old ladies who really want to smack each other in the face and their bickering and their arguments and their eventual frenemy romance <laughs> that I just, it's so good. It's so good and satisfying and has history and carping. And that's just, that's all I want in my life is history and women carping at each other. I don't know. It scratches a lot of itches for me. So that's The Woman Next Door by Juan de Omochoso. That has been on my TBR for like literal years at this point. I need to get to it. I need to get to it. It's so great. <laughs> All right. I picked The Old Drift by Namwali Sarpel. And Sarpel is a Zambian writer. And I read this this year for the first time because it won, I believe it was the Arthur C. Clarke Award. And I was like, I've never heard of this book. I need to read it. Oh, my gosh. It is so good. It's also really intense in a lot of ways. Uh, trigger warnings for like... Just all of the racial issues. There's racial slurs used. There's, you know, like just a lot of racial issues in this book. There is also an instance of rape on the page. So like FYI. Uh, okay, so this book is... So interesting because so you said that you liked, uh, you know, speculative fiction and as well as fiction. And this book does sort of 
contain speculative elements, as you might expect from something that won the Arthur C. Clarke Award, but they're very subtle. And almost like at a certain point, I just didn't even realize that we had gotten into the realm of like science fiction. And then I was like, oh, wait, that doesn't that doesn't actually exist. But it's so seamlessly woven into it that you're like, it didn't even register to me until I was a little bit farther into the more speculative section of the book that that's what had happened. Um, It's really incredibly well done. It follows uh, three generations of families, and they are both white, uh, European, and African, and they sort of weave in and out of each other's lives in really interesting ways that I don't want to spoil, so I'm going to say very little about that. But you start in, like, 1904, and then you jump forward, uh, like, 120-ish years, and you see, you know, both the course of Zambian history as it pretty much actually happened, and then this sort of, like, new imagined near future And the characters are so compelling and so weird in some cases. Um, And the story, it just, I mean, it really sucks you in. And there's a really fascinating, like, Greek chorus. Well, it's an African chorus, uh, but it's like mosquitoes that are talking to you. It's really mm. fascinating. I it's it's structurally interesting. It's really well written. I'm obsessed with this book. I really hope a lot of people read it. And yeah, I think it definitely will be of interest to you. So again, that is The Old Drift by Namwali Serpel. And it is time for another sponsor break. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95. And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Irena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Avid Reader Press. So this next book is a really fun sounding mashup of different genres. There's a little time travel, a little romance, a little spy thriller action going on. So in the near future, a civil servant is offered the salary of her dreams and is shortly afterward told what project she'll be working on. A recently established government ministry is gathering quote unquote expats from across history to establish whether time travel is feasible for the body, but also for the fabric of space time. This is an exquisitely original and feverishly fun fusion of genres and ideas. The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley asks, what does it mean to defy history when history is living in your house? Colleen Bradley's answer is a blazing, unforgettable testament to what we owe each other in a changing world. 
it kind of gives Outlander meets Cloud Atlas or If the Time Traveler's Rife was written by Sally Rooney or Colson Whitehead. Make sure to check out The Ministry of Time by Kalyan Bradley. And thanks again to Avid Reader Press for sponsoring this episode. All right. Our next question is from Rachel, who says, I recently watched a series on Netflix called Dark Tourist that explores odd tourist attractions around the world, like a radioactive city and murder tours. It felt similar to the lore podcast and subsequent world or lore books. I would love some recommendations for other odd slash dark histories around the world. Amanda, what did you pick? I picked From Here to Eternity, Traveling the World to Find Good Death by Caitlin Doughty, who wrote, oh, what was it called? I don't know. Oh, Smoke Gets in Your Eyes, uh, which is one of my favorite memoirs about her time working at a crematorium oven. I don't know. Is that the right word? I don't know. Anyway, I read the whole book. You'd think I know what it was called. So From Here to Eternity is her kind of traveling the world, going to different cultures to examine how they handle their dead, um, which seems pretty, pretty right up your alley, uh, and how they handle their dead, especially as compared to the American funeral industry, which has become very neurotic and strange. Um, like we are one of the only cultures who chemically embalms our bodies because we're obsessed with immortality subconsciously and consciously, and other countries handle the the process uh, in much more organic and ultimately healing ways for the people who have lost someone. Um, But it's just fascinating. Of course, like, I've always been, not obsessed, but like very interested in sky burials, which is a a Tibetan practice um, where they, you know, live up way up in the mountains. They don't have any ground to bury people in. Um, And so they chop up their dead bodies and like mix it with butter and flour and then feed them to eagles that are up in the mountains and they call that sky burials. I think that's fascinating. Oh, something else I learned in this book is that Japan has a 99.9% crematorium rating, like percentage. That's how many people get cremated. That's what I'm trying to say, as opposed to buried. You know, small island, very highly populated. They don't have a lot of space for graveyards. So almost everyone gets cremated. And most people's relatives attend those uh, cremations, which is like, again, in America, not really a thing. Um, So she's comparing all of those practices to how America got to where we are now with our funeral rites. And it's mostly because of capitalism um, and how all of these big corporations have bought up small independent funeral homes and really, um, what's the word, not ritualized, um, kind of made widgets of the funeral experience uh, so that it's very much less about offering healing to the people who have lost someone and more about getting people through the process as quickly and out of as much money as possible. So yeah, I mean, there's nothing like super happy about this book. It is very dark. uh, And if you like a, a series that is about Chernobyl and murder tours, then I think you will probably like a tour of the world looking at how different people handle their dead bodies. So there you go. That's From Here to Eternity by Caitlin Doughty. I picked The Poisoner's Handbook by Deborah Blum, which I think will be a fun one for you. Um, It is not around the world. Obviously, it's New York, uh, and it sounds like you're in the U.S. Whoops, sorry. But it is fascinating um, because it's about Jazz Age New York City and how, like, poisoning became actually traceable like it prior to uh forensic science understanding of how to detect poisons like poisoning was basically the perfect crime like nobody could prove that you had done it so like you know you can get away with it but this is about two 
forensic scientists, a chief medical examiner, and a toxicologist start to investigate this one, uh, like all of these different things, and uh, try to, you know, tease out like exactly how they can prove what has really happened here. And like they don't always get it right. Um, but it also dives into Bellevue, which is, you know, a very interesting like Bellevue Hospital is a very interesting and dark, weird, sad place to read about. And so I just feel like this is all right up your alley. It's, you know, it's it's well-researched history. It's like true crime. It's science thriller almost. Uh, and I think you will dig it. So, again, that is The Poisoner's Handbook by Deborah Blum. All right. Our next question is from Christy, who says, A friend and I have just started to dip our toes into poetry after many years of feeling that it just wasn't for us. We are both really enjoying Ted Kuser and Mary Oliver, nature themes, everyday life, the profound in the mundane. Could you recommend some other poets along these lines? Shorter poems and less experimental would be a plus as we like to read them aloud. Okay, I picked Raske just as a poet, just as a person, but specifically the Catalog of Unabashed Gratitude, which is his collection of poetry that came out in 2015 from the University of Pittsburgh that's mostly about gardening. <laughs> so I think you will find a lot of Mary Oliver-like or Mary Oliver-ish kind of themes in this uh, in this collection. And uh, there's one specifically about him planting a peach tree in his yard that's really beautiful. And then the ones that aren't about him like tinkering in his garden are about just everyday mundane beauty and joy. Um, and if you do end up liking it, his his more recent book is called The Book of Delights that came out in 2019. And it's not poetry. That's a collection of essays, but they're super short. Like most of them are a paragraph. And it's very similar. You know, it's the book of delights. It's about finding delight in small, mundane, everyday kind of kind of stuff. So I think that would also be worth visiting. But if you do want like poetry Straight Poetry, the Catalog of Unabashed Gratitude um, would be a good pick for you. So yeah, that's Catalog of Unabashed Gratitude by Roske. I love Roske, first of all. Mm. Second mm. of all, I was skimming the agenda and I read it as the Calabash of Gratitude. Like my brain just oh. like combined. And I was like, oh, that sounds great. <laughs> I want to read that. <laughs> and, and it also didn't even occur to me that that would be a weird title for a Ross Gay poetry collection. I was like, yeah, I could totally mm. see him writing a book called The Calabash of Gratitude. Calabash of Gratitude. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Isn't that, isn't that real? But it's not real. But that's that's what that book is always going to be called in my head now. All right, I picked a collection for you. When the light of the world was subdued, our songs came through. And this is a new uh, anthology of Native Nations poetry. It's edited by Joy Harjo, Leanne Howe, and Jennifer Elise Forster. And I bought this recently, not least because I am also trying to get more poetry into my life, but because the cover is stunning. It's such a beautiful book. And um, my partner and I have been like every now and then like digging into one of the poetry books. I like have a weird amount of poetry books that I've never read because of publishing. Like they're the one thing I for whatever reason don't put out when I put out the books that I'm like, you know, eject the galleys that I'm ejecting from my house. I always hang on to the poetry ones because I'm like, someday I'll read this. And then I never do. <laughs> so we're trying to like start working our way through them. And we've been reading some poems from this out loud. And I love it because it's like 160 poets. And it is uh, aiming to be um, a historically comprehensive 
native poetry anthology. So it goes like back in time, you know, to like 17th century artists and then, you know, much more recent um, poets, including, you know, names you might recognize. Natalie Diaz is in here. Laylee Long, Soldier. Um, you know, Joy Harjo obviously is very famous. But I love having so many time periods and poets to choose from for two reasons. One, sometimes I like older fashioned poetry. Like I read a lot of Yeats as a kid and I think it somehow, you know, wired my brain in a certain way. Um, And two, I like introducing myself to a lot of different poets whose then whose work I could seek out. And it does mean that you're not going to love like every single poem in this book, but even that's true even of a specific writer, right? Like you don't love every poem, just like you don't love every short story or essay or whatever. So I think this just presents like such a wealth of poetry to dive into and like get more of a feel of like, yeah, what styles do you like? Which, you know, poets really speak to you? And so many of these are about nature and the mundane um, that I've read so far. So I think this will just give you so much material to work with. And I'm again, I'm obsessed with it. The cover is just gorgeous. And I love what I've read so far. Uh, So again, that's When the Light of the World Was Subdued. Our Songs Came Through, a Norton Anthology of Native Nations Poetry. All right. And our last question is from Rebecca, who says, Donna Tart is one of my most favorite writers, and I quickly devoured her three novels as soon as I discovered her through The Goldfinch. Uh, since her MO seems to be having a 10-year gap between novels, I was hoping you would have some ideas for what author I should try next with a similar style. Character-driven, introspective fiction. Amanda. Okay, look. Uh, <laughs> is hard to replicate, really hard to replicate, but I went with A Little Life by Hanya Yanagihara, which comes with trigger warnings for, I mean, just everything, just all of it, just everything. Lots and lots of child abuse, various and sundry versions of child abuse. Um, the, it's, gut, it's a gut-wrenching book. And the reason why I picked it is because it's doing that thing that Donna Tartt is really good at doing, which is taking a collection of characters and then following them through a bunch of trauma over several years. Donna Tartt does that in The Goldfinch. She does that in uh, Secret History, although that's, you know, a college, well, it's not the whole lifetime, it's a college, college years, but still. And so uh, in A Little Life, you're following four classmates who graduate from a little college in Massachusetts. They moved to New York, you know, in that way that kids move to New York and are like broke and don't know what to do with themselves and only have each other and talk about burritos, that kind of thing. Um, and so all four of them, they're all four gay men and they all get pretty impressive careers. Actually, uh, one's an actor, one becomes like a painter. There's an architect, there's a lawyer. They have various and sundry personal and romantic entanglements. But Jude is kind of the, the main member of this group who everyone else kind of circles around. And Jude had probably one of the most traumatic childhoods that I've like read in fiction in my entire life. Um, and it follows him. He becomes an attorney. Uh, he has a lot of health problems because of it. He's got a lot of interpersonal issues with all of all three of these guys who are his best friends and one of whom he gets romantically involved with. And you're just like with him and them from the time they graduate college uh, up through their adulthood and with some flashbacks to Jude specifically 
his childhood. And it's very, very character driven. I mean, in the, in the same way that in like the Goldfinch, you know, I want to say that in the Goldfinch, not much happens, but like there's an explosion <laughs> and like an art heist. It's just such a slow moving art heist, you know, that like most of the heist is actually him just holding on to a painting while he grows up, which it doesn't sound that exciting. And it's kind of similar in a little life where like there are these huge crimes that happen to this kid and then you are just kind of watching him hold on to them forever as he lives or tries to live what he considers a normal life, carrying all of this on his back. So it's it's got that same kind of introspective feeling that a lot of Donner Tart does. Um, you know, it's a big chunker like the Goldfinch. So you are here with these guys as all of this stuff unfolds. But I will tell you that it is absolutely brutal. It took me forever to read because I had to keep taking breaks. Uh, it's 700 pages of pain. So if that does not sound like something you would be into, maybe not so much with this one and go with what Jen recommends. Um, but if you can like stomach it, I think that that's, it's pretty similar. So that's A Little Life by Hanya Yanagihara. Yeah, I also, it was hard to think of somebody who's going to, I mean, nobody, no two authors are doing the exact same thing. But I think Chang Rae Lee actually is another really good comp for Donna Tart. I have been obsessed with one of his books. Uh, if you're a longtime listener of the show, you've heard me talk about On Such a Full Sea before. It is amazing. It's such a good book. It takes place in like a near future where, you know, lots of things are like sort of still functioning, but kind of not. And um, this one young woman ends up going on this big journey that takes you, you know, it's like almost like the Odyssey, um, but it's an Asian American young woman moving through like what was formerly Baltimore and other lands adjacent and discovering, you know, sort of what has become of the world and how it works. And I love that book with like a burning love. Uh, but if if that, you know, Donna Tartt doesn't really do speculative and Chang really writes really broadly. So if you are not so interested in the idea of like a near future kind of book, even though, again, it's amazing. You could also start instead with Native Speaker, which is uh, his debut novel, if I remember that correctly. And it's about a man named Henry Park, who has been, you know, he's uh, Korean and he's spent his like whole life trying to become, you know, sort of this ideal of a true American, a native speaker. Um, but he is very you know, sort of torn between uh, his Korean heritage and his attempts to become as American as possible. He also becomes a spy, side note, you know, like you do. Uh, <laughs> and so, like, in the same way that, like, yeah, like Amanda's saying, like, dramatic things happen in Donna Tartt novels, like somebody is murdered or, like, you know, a painting is stolen, there's a heist, there's an explosion. Um, this one, you know, there is this part about like being a spy but there's it's also a deep dive into one man's experiences and like how does he relate to his american wife like how does he parent like how does he feel about his place in society you know how does he get here like that's the very introspective character driven thing that i think you're loving um so yeah i i i just recommend all of the works of chang rai lee even though i haven't read them all that's dangerous but he's such a good writer uh i just have loved everything i I've read by him. Um, so Native Speaker is the more realistic one that you might be into. But I also highly recommend On Such a Full Sea, um, which does, I will give trigger warnings for sexual assault, medical experimentation, abduction and imprisonment, uh, just as an FYI. All right. And on that note, that is our show. Woohoo! 
Okay, going into the holidays, <laughs> doing the things. Uh, mm-hmm. Thank you all so much for listening. Thanks also go out to our audio editor, Jen Zink, who tidies up our messes. Thank you so much, Jen. Um, if you are interested in leaving a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, for example, we super appreciate it. It does help other readers to find the show, and we do love to see the feedback. Thanks go out to our sponsors for making the show possible. And in between, you can find us on social media. Amanda, where are you at? I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And you can find me also mostly on Instagram at I am Jen IRL. That's I A M J E N N I R L. And we will talk to you next time. Bye.